if you are one of those who are like, hey, I go by the lectionary and that's it, you're going to be a little offended today because we're going to veer a little bit off to talk about fasting. So we're not going to be on the lectionary. We're going to talk about fasting. Um, and I'm, I'm, after saying that, I meant that jokingly, but now I'm super curious if you're here and offended that we're not going with the lectionary this morning. I won't ask. James? Okay. You'll get over it, James. Anybody else, I'm, I feel bad that you're, you're offended. But um, we're going to talk about fasting as we enter into the season of Lent. If you're new to Lent, uh, we've sent out a little paper to kind of talk a little bit about Lent, whether you're new or not. And Lent is just a season in the church calendar where we um, kind of recognize with the, the 40 days of Jesus' temptation and fasting in the wilderness, and it leads up to Jesus' triumphant resurrection on Easter, which this year happens on March 31st. If you've never participated in Lent or a Lenten fast, we invite you to do it. And we'll talk a little bit about the benefits of it in this sermon. And we're going to talk, well, uh, I call it a sermon, but I think that this is going to be more like a lesson just because I think there's so many different points and bullets to go through. But hopefully you find this helpful as you prepare for your Lenten fast this particular year. And the main idea of the sermon today or the lesson is that fasting helps us connect with the humanity of Jesus and helps us to encounter God in a meaningful way. I'm going to try to move through this pretty quickly because I understand that we have a lot of our children here. And I also understand that our fathers have been with the children um, all weekend. So we'll try to keep this as short as we can. We're coming from Matthew chapter 6, verse 1, then jumping through 16 through 18. We're not going to go through this text kind of how we usually do, but I thought it a helpful way to kind of position our minds as we go through the text. So Matthew chapter 6, verse 1 through chapter 16 through 18. It begins, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. And this is Jesus speaking. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And this is the word of the Lord. Please pray with me, brothers and sisters. Dear Lord, I thank you so much for this opportunity to stand before your people and share your word. God, I do sense the weight of doing such a thing, and I pray that you would grant me grace to show that you are indeed the one carrying it. I am just a vessel, and if it be your will, I pray um, that you would speak to me, through me, with clarity and conviction to your people, what I believe you've given me. And Lord, I pray with your effectual power that you would cause your word to accomplish in every heart and mind present exactly what you sent it for to accomplish. As we talk about fasting, I pray that we would sense an invitation to get to know you and grow in you and experience you through fasting, and that, Father, we will not experience uh, guilt or shame or, or unnecessary compulsion, Father. I give you the glory and the honor. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Um, this picture slide here is just the kind of something we could focus on as I tell you the story. Uh, my father, who's been gone now nearly 30 years, uh, he used to tell my mom this story, and she would often tell me this story as he recounted it to her. Uh, there was a man who walked the same route to work every day, to and from work. And as he walked uh, this route from work, he would walk by this old house that had this kind of old school, big front porch. And one day as he walked to work, he noticed on this front porch an old dog 
and this old dog was whimpering and, and yelping, clearly uncomfortable, clearly in pain, but he kept on his way to work. When he came home that evening, he noticed the same dog on the same porch, whimpering and yelping. And so this went on for days until one day as this man was on his way from work, he just couldn't take it anymore. He was filled with compassion for this dog, and he determined he was going to go up to that front door and knock on the dog, and he would knock on the door, and he was going to let the owners of that house have it. So he walked up that old front, front old porch, he walked by the dog yelping and whimpering, and he knocked on the door, and this older gentleman came to the door, and as soon as he came to the door, he just laid into him. What kind of owner are you that you would let your dog sit here and be in this kind of pain and discomfort, and you don't do anything about it? I had to call somebody on you. And he just let this poor old guy have it. Well, the old man took a deep breath, looked at the man, looked at the dog, and as calmly as he could, he said, well, sir, as it stands, I do care for this dog. You see, this dog has been my good friend and companion since he was a puppy, and it saddens me to see him yelping and whimpering in pain every day. But he said, you see, there's very little that I can do to ease his pain because the other day... As I let my dog out, as I usually do, I came back inside waiting for him, and I heard him yelping and whimpering, and I rushed back out outside to see what was happening, and I saw him laying on the porch. Well, I went and I picked him up, and to my surprise, he was laying on this old nail that was sticking through this old porch. So I rushed inside, I dressed his wound, I fixed him up, and then the next day when I let him out, I came back in, I heard yelping and whimpering again. I went back out to find the dog laying on the same old nail on this old porch. He said, well, this kept happening day after day until finally my poor dog resided himself to laying on that nail full time. He said, with great, great sadness, I decided that when the pain of the nail is great enough, he'll get up. Well, flabbergasted by this story, he wasn't expecting this. The young man looked at the old man, he looked at the dog, and he shook his head and went on back on his route home. The point of this story, as my, as my dad recounted to my mom and my mom to me, is this, that sometimes, sometimes the cause of our pain is simply the choices that we make. And the cure for our pain sometimes is simply choosing to make different decisions, just making different choices. That would preach in and of itself. But today I wanted to talk about the pain of the nail that this dog laid on and correlate it to the idea of fasting. Because fasting can be uncomfortable depending on how knew we are to fasting, how, how fit we are for fasting. We may have actually experienced physical pains, particularly hunger pains or even headaches as it pertains to fasting from food. We may experience irritability because of whatever it is we're choosing to give up. So with this being the case, why do we fast? Why voluntarily experience this discomfort? Why in relation to this story, continue to throw ourselves on this proverbial nail. Well, before we get into that, again, this sermon is about fasting. I'd like to share a few caveats about fasting before we get into it. And again, 
Um, this is going to be a little bit of a, of, of a lesson, a little bit of a, a, a note-taking marathon, if you will, because I'm hoping that the Lord would, would teach us some things about fasting and doing so healthy, health, healthily. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17, the Apostle Paul says, he says, If anyone destroys the temple of God, God will destroy that person. For the temple of God is holy, and that is what you are. And without taking that text too far out of context, it's helpful for us to acknowledge as we choose to embark on fasting that God cares for our physical bodies and he wants us to take good care of our bodies. So that when we fast, we should not fast to the detriment of our bodies. I'm going to say that again. When we fast, we should not fast to the detriment of our bodies or even our minds. And this means that if you know that you have a condition, either of the body or of the mind, that would make you unfit for fasting, then you should not fast. Okay? You should not fast, specifically speaking about fasting from food. Now, if at all possible, before you embark on fasting, particularly from food, get an all clear from your doctor, especially if you, if you suspect that you may have some issue. Okay? Um, I also don't want to take for granted that some of us may be, may be new to this idea of fasting, and you may not know at all what I'm talking about. So to offer a definition for fasting that I actually forgot to put on the um, board, the, uh, the, project, the um, slides. Uh, fasting is the act of abstaining from food or drink for the sake of health or spirituality. And although the primary form of fasting, biblically speaking, is abstaining from food, Today we're going to stretch that definition to say abstaining from food or certain luxury. Okay, food or certain luxury. I was thinking, what other necessary thing could I say we could fast from other than food? And then I thought maybe clothes, and I was like, that's not a good idea. So don't fast from clothes. Okay, don't fast from you know, fast, if you want to fast from food or luxury, but not not clothes. And lastly, we're going to be speaking about spiritual fasting as we talk about it here this morning at church. But also know that there are tons of studies out there that show that fasting, when done properly, especially from food, can have a, a ton of health and mental benefits, okay? Um, physical health and mental health benefits. So let's get back to the question that we asked earlier. Uh, why should we fast from food? Why should we throw ourselves on that proverbial nail, voluntarily taking on something that's so uncomfortable or potentially painful? Well, there are two main reasons, and the first is this. The Bible teaches us that fasting is an act of faith that prompts God to move on our behalf. Let's consider one of the many verses in the Bible about, or any passages in the Bible about God moving in response to fasting. Uh, if you remember, we went through the book of Esther here as a church together, but if you remember from Esther chapter 4, uh, Esther learns of the plot of Haman, who's one of the officials in the uh, Persian Empire, and he wants to eliminate the Jews who were deported. They were exiles in Persia at the time. And so Esther had become a wife of the Persian king at the time, and so um, her her mentor, the man who had fathered her, came to her and let her know that this man was, choosing, was desiring to eliminate the Jewish people. And so she decides that she's going to go intercede before the king for the people. Now, here's the thing. In the Persian Empire, a wife was not allowed to come before the king unless she was explicitly called for under the threat of death. And so Esther decides to do this. But before she goes, she asks the Jewish people to fast for her. 
so that she would be received well. And if you know the story, they fast for three days. She goes. She's received well. The king hears her pleading for the Jewish people, and they are delivered. And so this story shows us two things. One, it shows that the people of God have long held the belief that fasting causes God to move on our behalf. And the end of the story shows us that God does indeed move on behalf of his people with this act of fat, with this act of faith. So the Bible teaches us that fasting is an act of faith that prompts God to move on our behalf. Let me slow down. I feel like I'm moving so fast. The back of my throat is starting to feel tired. The second reason is that Jesus fasted. Jesus fasted. We see this from Matthew chapter 4 as well as other places in the gospel. Now, one of the lesser valued aspects of Jesus' work on earth is what we call his impeccable humanity. His perfect example of what it means to be a human. Jesus didn't just die so that we can be forgiven for our sins. He did that, but Jesus also lived to show us how we ought to live. Okay? And as a part of his life, he fasted. We fast because Jesus' life affirms that fasting is a helpful thing to do. Also, Jesus said that his disciples will fast as he fasted. And so Jesus taught his disciples how to fast in a God-honoring way. And to sum up what he says about fasting, and that was a text that we read earlier, Jesus, just to say it very simply, Jesus says that his followers will fast in such a way as to be seen and acknowledged by God and not by people. Okay? So when we fast, it's important that we don't go around looking like we're fasting, right? When we fast, it's important that we don't go around all haggardly like, oh, oh, I'm fasting. Oh, I'm so hungry. Oh, I'm... It's important that we don't do things like that. Jesus actually says that when you're fasting, he says go the other direction. He actually says dress yourself up, right? Put oil on your head. That's literally like put some lotion on, right? Get, get yourself looking good, smelling good, so that your fasting will be evident to God, but inconspicuous to others. Your fasting should be evident to God, not others. Now, this does not mean that you need to be weird. I remember when I first learned about fasting when I was young and I, I embarked on, on a great deal of fasting. By the way, the reason why I am very tentative to, to tell you guys about caring for yourselves is because I have a pretty tenuous um, relationship with fasting. Um, as a, as a, a senior in high school, early in college, I actually was dealing with some level of eating disorder uh, based from my, my anxiety, and it was lived out through my eating, and I, I spiritualized it through fasting. So it's helpful for me to engage in a Lenten fasting community because that helps me maintain some parameters for my own health. And my, so that's why I say it. But I remember when I first started fasting, and it was such an honor for me to go around and show people that I was fasting. You know, oh, man, I haven't eaten in three days. I was seeing stars this morning. You know, all of that kind of thing. That's, that's not what we do. But you don't need to be weird about it, right? Um, someone comes and asks you if you're fasting, and you're like, well, um, actually, uh, you know, or you just end up lying. It's not necessary. You know, if you go to work and, you know, so, you know your coworker knows you like this snack and he or she brings you this snack, it's simple to say, oh, no, thank you, friend. I'm, I'm fasting today. 
and let that be the end of it. Okay? You don't, you don't have to be weird about it. Um, and not making a big deal about fasting was important to Jesus because it was very prevalent in his day for the religious folks to try to make a big deal. To do like, 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 oh, you know, holy rolling Leon, right? To go around and, oh, man. Oh, boy, I tell you what. Hey, Leon, you want some of this food? No, no. Man, I'm fasting, bro. Let me tell you something, man. No, it's unnecessary, okay? And Jesus says not to show off to other people because when you do, that will be your reward. Whatever praise you, you, you receive from people will be your reward, and meaning you will not get anything from the Lord. So when you fast, seek your reward from God. So all said, um, I'd like to end this lesson by sharing the types of fasts we see in the Bible. And I think that this list is generally exhaustive, meaning that the fast in the Bible that we see will fit into, into at least one of these categories. And so the first is this, um, penitent fasting. We see an example of this in, John, in Jonah chapter 3, verse 5. A penitent fast is a fast done for the repentance of sin. Uh, in the book of Jonah, when, when Jonah finally shares the warning that God was bringing about destruction uh, to the Ninevites, they respond by repenting through fasting. And while I think, while this kind of fasting is prominent through the Old Testament, I want us as Christians, as New Testament believers, to be a little careful because we have the beautiful gift of forgiveness of sins through nothing else but the finished work of our Lord Jesus Christ. So that when we fast, don't fast seeking repentance from the Lord. However, there is a benefit to, to fasting when it comes to, to, to repenting of sin. Um, if we're experiencing some kind of besetting sin that we have difficulty overcoming, fasting can be very helpful in help, helping us overcome that besetting sin. So there is a penitent factor in fasting. If you know, hey, God, I'm really struggling, I'm seeking your help. So in that case, but understand that fasting does not earn you forgiveness of sin. We have that through Jesus. So the first one is penitent fasting. The second one is fasting in grief. We see this in 1 Samuel chapter 1, 11 through 12, when David mourns the deaths of Saul and his friend Jonathan. And while fasting and grief isn't something that's explicitly taught or mentioned in the New Testament, there is one thing that I think we would benefit from looking at grieving rituals or grieving practices in the Old Testament. You see, in the New Testament, and as, especially as Western American Christians, we've kind of thrown all rituals out the window. And I think that's why a lot of times things that come in our life that are hard, they break us instead of build us is because we don't have the practices and the rituals that God has given us so that we can actually come out, come out on the other side of things like, like grief. In the Old Testament, God actually gives certain, certain practices for grief so that you go through it and you come out on the other side healthy. So I say all of that to say that um, I don't know if fasting would be a part of your grieving process, but I do think it's helpful for us to lean on the Old Testament when we're seeking um, ways to deal well with the hardships of life. Amen. Is that making sense to you? So fasting and grief. Third, fasting for clarity or for direction. We see this in Daniel chapter 9, verse 20 through 23, right? Daniel is, is experiencing with the people of Israel God's judgment on Israel for not uh, being faithful to the Lord. And so he's fasting, um, trying to ask God to relent from the destruction. And what he receives is the angel Gabriel coming to him and giving him clarity 
on what's going on, what's the nature of the destruction, how long it's going to go on, and then also a prophecy of the coming Messiah. So that in fasting, sometimes what God will give us is clarity or direction. And lastly, fasting and supplication. And we see this again, this comes back, we go back to Esther chapter 4. This is when you're fasting because there's great need for healing or provision or something for you or on behalf of someone else. And so you're fasting. And fasting is kind of an amplified version of supplication. Okay, um, I know some people, I've heard people say that, you know, when prayer is not working, then you fast. I'm not sure how biblical that is. I think you get, you, that gets, kind of bleeds into the idea of, of works, right, of, of earning something through your own piety. However, I do think that fasting can serve as somewhat of an amplified time of seeking the Lord for something. So how does that work exactly? I know I feel like I'm speaking out both sides of my mouth, but uh, the faith we have is mysterious at times. Amen. So I do think that uh, fasting can be helpful in terms of amplifying uh, what, we're, what we desire from the Lord. But fasting also has this way of aligning our hearts with God's heart so that we desire from God what he actually desires to give us or to do for us. And this is helpful, especially in those times when what we're seeking from the Lord doesn't exactly come and God will align our heart to what, actually, what he does actually bring. So it can actually work at changing our posture, changing our desire. So, as I've said multiple times this morning, fasting can be uncomfortable. It may make you irritable, lethargic, foggy. It can come with, with hunger pangs and with headaches. However, while this may be startling to us, it was helpful for me to learn a little while back that these are the things that the early church actually looked for in fasting. They actually expected and looked forward to this irritability and hunger pains and stuff because for them, it was a prime example of their finitude and their feebleness and their desire for their sustenance to come from the Lord. And so what they did was they actually used all of that as an impetus to go before the Lord, you know, and I think it would be helpful for us to you, let our discomfort, right? Like if you're fasting from like TV, let that like, oh man, I need, I need to watch. Let that drive you to the Lord. Confess that to God. Like God, right now I'm super uncomfortable. I'm super irritable. I didn't have my coffee. I got this headache, whatever it is. And, and, and seek the Lord to provide that sustenance for you. Amen? Amen. Amen. And so during Lent, we're bound to experience some level of discomfort or craving or something. And I want to say this, at least, I don't mean to make your fasting something that you try to, you know, one up on or something like that. But I will say that if in fasting you're not experiencing some level of discomfort or craving, then you're probably not fasting in the fullest sense. OK, like, you know, if if you don't watch TV and you're fasting from TV, that's let's just be real. Okay, if, if you don't crave sugar and you're fasting from sugar, you know what I mean? Um, so just keep that in mind. And I'm not telling you to try and, you know, outdo someone, you know, um, but, you know, just just want to actually be, be leaning into to the discomfort, the craving, the, the, the desire for that thing. Okay. Um, and, a, and a word about uh, a prayer and, and scripture as we talk about seeking the Lord. Uh, fasting must be accompanied by prayer and scripture reading if we truly intend to experience the Lord through it. 
Okay, it must be accompanied by prayer and scripture reading if we truly intend to experience the Lord through it. What I like to do when I'm fasting, especially like during a Lenten season, is I like to choose one or two books that I plan to read through or reread through during the season. So that, um, just to give you a quick insight, something I give up um, every Lent is watching like TV on my phone specifically. So that every time, like, because it's so it's rote, it's, it's it's like rote memory. Like every time I'll just like pick up my phone to watch something that just happens. And if I'm like at a doctor's office or something like that. And so when that when I when I do that kind of, you know, just natural thing, it's like, oh, and so now instead of opening the, the TV app, I open the Bible app and my goal is to read through whatever I've been reading through. So, you know, that that could be something a practice that you can take up. And lastly, and the biggest thing is this uh, fasting does not make God like us more and fasting does not make us holier than others. Okay, Um, when fasting, you may experience uh, a certain level of closeness and nearness to the Lord. But it's important during those seasons to know your nearness and closeness to the Lord does not mean that you're now holier than that person next to you. Right. Um, I remember when I was fasting a a whole lot and I would experience like insight in the scripture and stuff. I would, you know, look at people like, ah. Yeah, Lord, help them. They can't see what I see because they don't fast like I fast, right? As soon as you start experiencing that, um, just know that you're off track and find a way to recenter yourself on the Lord, okay? Because fasting merely positions us to receive from God through the very same means that we receive all things from God, and that's grace. That's grace. Um, Jesus has already accomplished all that is needed for God to like us. Through Jesus' life, his death, his burial, and his glorious resurrection, Jesus has accomplished all that we need for God to like us. Now there is only grace through our faith. Amen? So as you lean into this Lenten fast, and I'm suggesting that you do it. I am suggesting that you do it this year. Uh, I want you, and I'm praying for the Lord in, in, in your mercy, Lord, to grant every single one of us to feel a, a, a push from grace. More so to feel an invitation, a welcoming into this practice of fasting during this season. Okay? I want it to be as much as possible from this welcoming kind of inviting thing from God more than a compulsion. And this is me, this is somebody speaking to you as somebody who struggles from legit compulsion. Okay? It's, it's, It's not nearly as great an experience as when you feel a welcome and an invitation from the Lord to fast. Um, you don't, you don't, it's not, it's not perfect. Okay, we're not seeking perfection. We're not seeking to, to do it in such a way that, that we, it's the best we've ever fasted. No, that's, that's not the goal. Okay, the goal is to come before the Lord, acknowledging how broken we are, how feeble we are, and in an amplified way, how much we need him. And we ask the Lord, extend us the grace to experience him filling us in those ways that we're able to acknowledge when we're fasting. You get what I'm saying this morning? Say, you get what I'm saying this morning? If not, tell me. I'll speak for 15 more minutes if you need it. Amen. Let's pray, brothers and sisters. Dear Lord, I do thank you so much for the opportunity to share with our brothers and sisters about fasting. And I am praying in your mercy that we would experience um, in a special way your nearness to us. Through this season of fasting, praying for overcoming of sin, praying for clarity and direction, praying for 
receiving your provision, insight into your word, all of those things through our, our Lenten fast, and just praying for a great sense of community. Um, anybody, any of us grieving as we grieve this Lent, I pray that we would find your, your meeting us and granting us greater health. You having built us up where we've been broken down. Perseverance in this faith, Father, where we've been tempted, Father, to, 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 to give up. Just pray you would meet us and protect us from the evil one, even as we do so. As he would probably, as he would likely try to take advantage of our weakened state, Lord, would you grant us your grace to overcome and him not to prevail in any way. We give you all the glory and the honor. For you are good. And oh, Lord, you love us. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.